Welcome to Wannabe Clutter Free, formerly Wannabe Minimalist, the podcast for busy families who are tired of the chaos, fed up with being overwhelmed, and ready to enjoy life again. Each week, we talk about how to let go of the clutter so that you can focus on the things that actually matter. And it's not just physical clutter. We talk about the mental and emotional stuff too, because if it's holding you back, it's time to ditch it. I share what I've done in my own life to declutter, organize, and calm the chaos, but you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's practical, doable, and simple for those of us that want to be clutter-free. My son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. You're listening to Wannabe Minimalist with Deanna Yates, episode number 145. On today's show, I'm talking with Dr. Sam Goldman about how to help our kids eat more variety. Now, we always joke about kids being picky eaters, and Dr. Sam has a reason as to why she thinks that is and what we can do to help our kids be better eaters. Well, hello again, my wannabe minimalist friend. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. And I think you're going to really like today's topic. Uh, we are talking about eating and sensory issues and and how to get our kids more excited to try different and new foods and things that we just want them to eat to be healthier, right? This is one of our goals as parents is to nourish our kids and feeding them a healthy, balanced diet is one of the ways we can do that. And so um, I'm really excited to have our guest on the show today. But before we get in too deep into the show, I would just like to say welcome back. And if this is your first time here, well, welcome to the show. I am super honored to have you here, and I hope you like what you hear and you come back for more. One of my goals is to make sure that this show is uh, you know, either entertaining or just insightful, and it will give you helpful action tips to take with you as you go about your busy day. And so I really appreciate that you are spending some time with me today. And if you do like what you hear today, would you be so kind as to leave me a rating or a review? Those ratings on Apple Podcast and Spotify are the lifeblood for podcasters like myself. And it tells me that the topics that we're talking about are ones that you like, or you can give me suggestions for different guests that you'd like to hear from. I have definitely taken suggestions from the reviews, and I do listen to all of the feedback that I get, and I try to make the show better based on those reviews. So thank you so much for helping me out and making the show better for you you as well and other listeners. And so I would like to also just give a shout out to one of the reviews we got this last week. It was a very kind review and I just want to share it. And here it is. This review comes from Kaylee UCLA and it says, and I quote, very doable and encouraging. She gave five stars. Love this podcast, real life examples and tips, aspirational in a good way, still relatable and relatable and very enjoyable. A fun and easy listen heart. Well, Kaylee, thank you so much for the review. I appreciate that you uh, took the time to let me know what you thought. And I do appreciate that you uh, can see that I am trying to be relatable and let you know what has worked in my life, not perfection, um, you know, and not insta-worthy everything, right? It's more about just how can we make our lives better as we go forward. And one of those things today, now, um, if you don't have kids, well, then, uh, you know, listen up and maybe you'll find some tips for yourself in here because there could be something that clicks for you to think like, oh, maybe that's why I didn't like that thing. Or maybe that's how, that's a way I can start trying new things if you want to experience uh, more variety in your diet as well. But we are definitely talking to those moms and dads that are listening that have kids that are picky eaters. And, you know, you, all of these struggles that we have at the table, I definitely have had a few of those battles myself. And um, I know how stressful it can be as a parent. So that is why I wanted to bring on Dr. Sam. All right, let's talk about who she is. Dr. Sam is on a mission to help families bring the magic back to their mealtimes. She supports parents in their dream of helping their children have a happy and healthy relationship with food. Because when children have feeding challenges and just won't eat, parents are often left feeling lost, concerned, and like they're doing a bad job. 
Through her 10 years of experience as an occupational therapist, she has seen firsthand how these eating difficulties not only affect a child's health, but their family dynamics. And in her business, she teaches parents how to create peaceful, no-pressure mealtimes where you can spend your time connecting with your family instead of focusing on food battles and how to help your child overcome sensory issues at the table so they can start exploring and trying new foods. Honestly, Dr. Sam is a delight to speak with, and I think you're really going to enjoy our conversation. But quickly, I want to remind you that you can pick up the show notes for today's episode over at wannabeclutterfree.com forward slash the number 145. Again, that's wannabeclutterfree.com forward slash the number 145. And without further ado, let's get on to our conversation with Dr. Sam. Well, hi, Sam. Welcome to Wannabe Minimalist. How are you doing today? I'm doing so good. Thank you for having me. So excited for this chat. Oh, it is my pleasure. I am too. So this is a fun one. We haven't really talked about this on the show yet. And so I'm really excited to kind of dive in. Um, But before we really get to the meat and potatoes about it, uh, you know, food puns started already. uh, Why don't you tell me about yourself and what it means to be an occupational therapist and a feeding therapist? Yeah. So of course, my name is Sam. Most people know me from my Instagram at Dr. Sam Goldman, and I am a occupational therapist. So my background is as an occupational therapist. The doctor comes from my doctorate in occupational therapy, and all of my clients just love to call me Dr. Sam. So that's how that got there. So I am not a medical doctor, but I am a doctor of occupational therapy. So my background is as an occupational and a feeding therapist. And I now currently have programs for parents to help them learn how to help their kids explore new foods and do it the fun way, which I think is like the most important thing to me is I want to make the the table more magical and more fun for families, which I know people are like, wait, wait a second, the table is not fun. But yes, we can make it fun. So what it means to me to be an occupational feeding therapist, I do want to distinguish between those two. A little bit actually, because as an occupational therapist, not every OT does feeding. And I think that's really important for people to realize because a lot of the times they'll go to an OT and then be really surprised when their OT is not working on their feeding goals. So that is a subspecialty. Um, as an occupational therapist, our job is to help people all throughout the lifespan, but I am more of a kid, teenage person. I do work with some adults, but I am really a pediatric OT, but do the things they want to and need to do every day. And we call those our occupations. So people hear occupational therapy. I don't know if you've ever heard this. And they're like, my kid doesn't need a job. (laughs) We're like, no, 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 it's not a job. It's the things we need to and want to do every day are occupations, like eating, getting dressed, going to the bathroom, laying, doing school activities like handwriting sitting at the table. All of these make up our day. So when you have a hard time in that, our job is to help you with that. So feeding is, of course, one of our occupations. And there are OTs who specialize in that. So our job is to make the table pleasurable, more fun, and to help your child add variety. Interesting. I love how you broke that down. Thank you. Because yes, I I'm not going to lie. I don't have a lot of background uh, with occupational therapy. Um, And so it was really helpful for you to break that down. So thank you. I do appreciate that. And I think, you know, too, we as adults think of the table as fun, or at least people that are foodies. I will claim that I am not a foodie. I I like food, but I don't go out of my way probably (laughs) to be like a foodie kind of a person. But I, I do appreciate a good meal. I appreciate that the table can and should be fun. It should be a nice time for us to want to be there. And so I do appreciate that you are bringing that magic and spark and fun back to the table. So how do you help families with mealtime? What are some of the things that you do? That's kind of a big question, but uh, let's start mm-hmm. there because why would someone come to you in the first place maybe? And how can you kind of help start or start helping them? Yes, I have online education for parents. So A lot of the time I was working in the hospital system, I was working in outpatient, and parents just didn't seem to have the education they were looking for. By the time they ended up at us, they had asked their families, gone to the Facebook group, done all these things, done the Google, the late night searches. 
And yet they hadn't come up with the answers they needed to feel confident feeding their child. And so to me, that was like, we could be helping people before they get to us. We can be giving them that education. And even in the therapy world, the outpatient therapy world, when they come to us, we only have like 30 minutes with a parent and with a child. So you're supposed to have them take off their shoes, do a physical activity, do a food activity, educate the parent, get their shoes back on in 30 minutes. So parents weren't getting as much education as they wanted and quality education. So it's really hard to teach a parent when their child is running around the therapy gym, jumping on things, wanting to play. And I really wanted parents to have a way to learn and to learn for them. So tell us a little bit more about how you actually help families with mealtime. What does that mean? Yeah. So as I mentioned before, my goal is always to make everything fun for families. So my big, big thing is how I help families is I want them to feel confident and comfortable at the table with their child. How we do this is we break it down. So sometimes it seems really big. Sometimes it seems like this mealtime battle is this never-ending battle that's never going to end. It's really big. And we break it down into how, what is going on and how do we make this something that is achievable for you? How do we take a couple little steps? How do we make progress forward? Especially when we're talking to parents, we're talking about how do we do this in a really simple way? And so that's really what I focus on with families is how do I help parents who are feeling exhausted, frustrated, tired, make small steps to making positive changes at the table in a way that connects with them and their child. So how do you feel about rules? So I know that like a lot of people have rules around eating. And I think a lot of this comes from our own childhoods, right? We were told to, you know, eat the stuff on our plate, you know, make sure we ate our vegetables before we got our desserts. These kinds of things that have stemmed from our own childhoods as we become parents, we generally tend to kind of go back into those roles that we were raised with. So do you recommend that parents have their child take one bite of something before they say no? Or like, how do you kind of, what are some of these rules maybe that you've seen that you're like, nope, let's not start there. Uh, how do people navigate this? Because again, if they're doing these late night Google searches, these are the things that they're going to find. Mm -hmm. So I think it's kind of broken out into two pieces. I think rules and that one by rule I see differently. So okay. I am a big fan of structure at the table. So okay. one of the biggest things I see with parents is when you're not sure why things aren't going well, you're trying a whole bunch of different things because you've Googled this, you've done this. So one day you're like, you need to take a bite of this. The next day you're like, okay, I'm going to try no pressure. The next day you're like, this is what we're having. You eat this or you go to bed. And that is so anxiety provoking for a child because they have no idea what to expect from you when they come to the table. So I really like to say, instead of rules, I say boundaries and, and structure and routine. So we want your child to come to the table knowing what to expect. So it's not a free-for-all. It's not that they just come to the table, they run everything at the table, they're done and they go. We do have structure. So we don't throw food. You know, that's, that's a typical structure of the table. We are polite at the table. We're nice to our parents at the table. And in return, our parents are nice to us. So when it comes to those kind of rules and those kind of boundaries and routines, I'm a big fan of that. Now, that other question, that do we take a bite question? I think that is the number one question I get asked is, what do you think of one bite rules? Personally, I am not the biggest fan of one bite rules. And here's why. I have a very big focus in the sensory system. And when it comes to our senses, their number one job is to protect you. So. Before anything else, our sense's job is to protect us. We feel a spider crawling up our leg and we, we feel that and we run away. We hear a car horn honking. We turn to look to make sure we're safe. We look at a piece of food. We evaluate whether or not we think this food is going to make us sick. Now, you or I, we know that a piece of broccoli likely is not threatening to our body. But a child who's having struggles eating, a child who's maybe sensory system, is interpreting that as threatening. And then we're asking them to bypass the message that their body is sending and say, no, force it to do that. Their senses is going to kick in even more. Their fight or flight response is going to kick on to protect them even more. 
And that's usually where those mealtime battles begin because they are protecting their body and you are asking them to do something that their body doesn't align with. So as opposed to a one bite rule, I'm actually a very big proponent of how do I meet them where they're at and how do I teach them to take one more step with that food so they are the person who makes that decision to take a bite of it and put it in their body. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. Okay. So what does that look like if, um, let's say you have that broccoli on the plate and they don't want to try it? Um, Is it something like, what's the first step they would take? Would it be smelling it? Would it be touching it? Would it be, you know, using our other senses? Um, Would, I don't know. I'll go to another question in a minute, but let's start there. No, that's perfect. So I'm actually a big proponent of what we call the SOS approach to feeding. This is a specific approach. And according to them, we event, we essentially, as humans, go through developmental steps to eating. So as adults, we almost forget that. We think that like we see a food, we pick it up, we try it, and we go on. But that's not the truth. And it's not even the truth for us as an adult. As an adult. When you first tried sushi for that very first time and it was put on your plate, most people did not dive right into it. It's a piece <laughs> of raw fish. It's very different. It's and you kind of look at it and you're like, oh, I'm not so sure about this. You look around, you see your friends really enjoying it. Maybe you poke it with your chopsticks. Then you start to like, oh, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm going to pick it up. Maybe you like touch it to your lips and you're not so sure. Yeah. Touch it to your teeth. And then finally you start to take a bite. And maybe you don't even love it that first time. You continue to learn it. And so we call these the steps to eating. And I'll give you kind of that general overview. There's 32 steps, which sounds like so much, but it's actually broken. It's so much. It's actually broken into six um, bigger steps too. Okay. So the first one is being able to tolerate a food. So being able to sit in the same room as it. Some children can't be in the same room as a food. If it's in there, it feels so threatened to their body, they need to leave. So that's the first one. The next one is going to be being able to, once tolerating, being able to look at and interact with it. So maybe not touching it with your hands, but touching it with a fork, pushing it with the fork. From there, we go to smelling it and being able to, you know, control the smell, being able to feel confident with the smell around you. Then we want to talk about touching it with our fingers. And it's really interesting. We have the same touch receptors in our fingers as we do for our mouth. 
So touching a food with our fingers helps us get used to it. From touch, then we're going to go to tasting a food. And from there, we're going to go to biting a food and swallowing. So my actual personal preference is to help kids up these steps because instead of forcing them to jump from one to the other, we can help them gradually become comfortable with that food. Well, I think that's super insightful and really helpful because what happens is what we think, well, me, I'll just talk to myself. Um, what I think of step one of taking a bite, right? What a lot of us say, well, just take a bite is actually step six, right? That sixth group of steps. And mm-hmm. so that's really fascinating to even look at how far, you know, how far that journey can be before you even get to that one bite rule. Um, and so, yeah, so you can feel like you're making progress, even if they're not willing to take that bite. I think that's very helpful. Um, mm-hmm. Awesome. So I will say that I feel very lucky. We did not have to struggle too much with a lot of this. We traveled a lot as a family. Um, and so I feel like, you know, our daughter was just exposed to a lot of different foods. Um, we eat a lot of different foods. We cook a ton at home. Um And one thing when I worked, when we lived in Chicago, I was a property manager and I was so busy, so, so busy. So I still wanted to make sure that I was cooking. And so I used a meal kit. And I actually feel like that was really helpful with our family because it helped. I felt like it helped me get out of a cooking funk, right? It helped me want to try new flavors. It brought new foods into our house that I wouldn't have thought about or wouldn't have put together. Um, so do you have any other ideas or suggestions or like, do you find, do you think that sounds helpful? Like um, with getting new foods into the house. And so you're also kind of modeling, trying new things. And can we talk to our kids about like, oh, hey, um, this is a Brussels sprout. I've never tried a Brussels sprout or, you know, shockingly, our daughter actually does love Brussels sprouts. <laughs> if it's salmon, it's, she's a little, she's, she's unique. I love her, but you know, you give her some rice and she's like, oh, heck no. <laughs> go figure um so you know i feel like we kind of sometimes have to choose those battles but is does that seem helpful like how can we model that behavior for our kids yeah i love meal kids i think that's like such a fun way to do it i'm all about how can you bring the fun in the food and i think yeah. even having your child being able to pick the meals that you guys do that week like you open the book you look at it together and you're like these are our options and having them pick those options with you can be so fun. And I think you actually point out a really important thing. So as a parent, trying new foods and modeling that for your child. So we're, we're our kids' role models. They learn from their parents. And so a lot of the times too, I'll actually have a child and a family who comes to me and the parents like, I really want them to eat Brussels sprouts. And I'm like, well, do you eat Brussels sprouts? Is this something that's at your table? And they're like, oh, no, I don't like that. And the thing is, we want our kids to be part of the family. So how are we going to teach our kid to eat something if if we're not doing that? And so I do think that's really important is for parents to set the the role model and to, to show their child how to do this because kids learn through watching. So showing them that. As for other ideas, my absolute favorite thing to do is to find books with new foods. So I love having kids learn about new food through a book first. It's a very non-pressure way to be like, this is a new food. This is what a Brussels sprout is. This is what it looks like. This is what Peppa Pig thinks of it. And the really interesting thing is by research, kids are more likely to try a food and they're more likely to actually enjoy that food when one of their favorite characters does. And I think that's wild, but that is actually proven by research. And I actually have a fun story about this too. So my niece loves Pete the Cat. So she's reading that Pete the Cat pizza book all the time because, you know, kids, they want to read the same book over and over. (laughs) And Pete the Cat puts pickles on his pizza. She's never seen a pickle. She's never heard of a pickle until it's introduced in this book. She has to try a pickle, preferably on a pizza, because Pete the Cat, who she loves eats pickles on his pizza. And so that's just such a beautiful way of how a child takes a message from a book. And they're like, Pete the cat eats it. The cat enjoys it. I think I can do this too. And so I think that's such an impactful way, especially when you have a younger child, to start introducing new foods. Yeah. 
Okay. So we can just look for, do you have any uh, books in particular that you really like, or should we just look for kind of their character, the characters that they love and just see if we can kind of research and find books that they talk about different foods? So I've spent hours in Barnes and Noble looking at, looking at these because I love food. Um, So I think there is something I really want to point out. When you go through these books, look for positive food messaging. So I look for books that don't have the words yuck in it, the don't words that that don't have that take a bite in it, that don't have that power struggle between parents and children in it. I want a really positive food messaging, preferably very objective. So I want a, I want a book that's going to say like, this is a broccoli. This is a strawberry. This is what we picked at the farm. Any of those kind of things are something I would lean towards. Coco Melon actually has a great one. Their video does say yuck in it, but there's like a Coco Melon vegetable books. Peppa Pig books I found, very good. And there is a Dr. Seuss for older kids, one of those like reading books that has really positive food messaging. And they've even changed their green eggs and ham one to be a little bit more positive. (laughs) That's good to know. All right. Look, don't pull out our old versions of green eggs and ham. Go get the new version. (laughs) Yeah. Ours like, I do not like it. I do not like it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, Okay, that's a little, the minimalist in me is like, but can't I reuse the stuff? But no, obviously, Um, the new stuff when it does have new messaging is much better. Or Um, the library. Yeah. Oh my God, I love the library. The library is a great minimalist one. (laughs) The library and I are hot hot friends. Um, (laughs) I use the Libby app like every day. It's my favorite. I have new books constantly on rotation. um, So it's great. Huge fan. Um, you mentioned something about the you pick or kind of like going to the farm. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, tell me a little bit more about that in case anybody doesn't know what that is. Yeah. So when I talk about you pick, I mean, going to a farm where you can pick your own fruits, pick your own vegetables, depending on where you live. There's a variety of options. I'm in Florida. We don't have quite as many options as everywhere else, but we do have strawberry season. I think we have a couple other things we can pick here. My favorite personally is apples. Um, so going to pick apples. But this is a really, again, non-pressure way to introduce your child to a food that they might have been more hesitant around before or they don't even know. We assume kids know what all these fruits and vegetables are. We assume they're going to take a bite. They know what it tastes like. I can picture an apple in my head. I know I'm going to bite in there. It's going to be a peel. I know I'm going to bite in. It's going to be a little wet and crunchy. Your child probably doesn't know that if they haven't had it before. And so it's really, it really is magical when you can introduce it to them in a way that's fun, that's non-pressure, and they're, they're taking the steps to do this with you. So that's what a pick farm is. I'm also a big fan of gardening, any of that kind of stuff that gets them out of the table exploring a new food. Yeah. Well, I'm always surprised at how much, right, you just, there's moments still now, our daughter is nine, and there's still moments where I'm like, Right. I've got to teach you every single thing. You come out blank slate. You know nothing (laughs) until I tell you about it or you have been exposed to it or, you know, your friends say something about it or you see it, read it, whatever. Um, So, yeah, it is always very interesting. It's a good reminder. you know. And also, we as adults have seen maybe the full version of it. I'm thinking right now of like, you know, we just got back from a road trip and when we she gets to get a half meal when we're on the road it's the thing she gets she loves it but you get the apple slices right and so if they have the apple slices in the bag that's totally different than a whole apple that they might not know about and so you kind of it's like you could work in like this is like that if they've had apple slices before you know this is like that but it's how it starts it starts whole and then or they don't even know it comes off of a tree and you know all of those things that all work together and then maybe just makes it less intimidating, like you were saying. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah. And I love variety. Oh, oh good. Sorry. Sorry. I love variety in as many ways as possible. So just like you said, having the apple in this form, having the apple in this form. For somebody who's really struggling to try new foods, that is one of the best ways to start is how can I change a food my child already likes, but make it just a little different. Yeah. And we get a weekly CSA at our house and I feel so lucky. Like you were saying, you're in Florida. I'm in San Diego. I feel so uber fortunate that I have access to fresh produce every week and it gets delivered to my door and it's lovely. And, but that's also another way we've gotten foods that I'm like, we would, I would never buy this at the store. And 
we got the giantest, biggest Brussels sprouts the other day. They were, I've never seen Brussels sprouts this big in my life. And so it was really funny because we all of a sudden were like, how does that even grow on the tree? And so it was like, we're like on the tree. It's not even a tree. It's like a bush, like a stalk thing. But, you know, to not even know how that grows. And then so it gave us a conversation to go look it up. And then like, oh, these big ones just have been there the longest, you know, they're at the end where you might have thought they would have been at the bottom. But, you know, it was just interesting to like watch how that kind of came together. And we're like, oh, interesting. Um, I don't know. I'm getting off topic, but that was really fun. <laughs> A fun yeah. way that we've found new things in our house as well. Yeah, I love that. I yeah. wish we had those down here. So let's shift gears a little bit. You talked earlier about sensory processing and mm -hmm. obviously sensory senses. We have our five senses, but how does this fit into getting kids to try new food? I think we talked a little bit about it through those six steps. Um, Mm -hmm. But is there anything else you want to add on that? I do. I could have fun <laughs> on this. So first, the most mind-blowing thing is we have eight senses, not five. Yes. So our five senses we always hear about, we always learn about, those are our external senses. They're what comes from outside of our body. But there's three what I call like hidden senses. And those come from inside of our body. And nobody ever talks about it. Nobody even knows they exist except BOTs. But we are getting that message out there starting today. <laughs> so we have what we call our proprioceptive sense. That's our sense of body awareness. So I close my eyes and I, I know where my hands are. I know that I'm moving them right now. I know I'm sitting up. That's our proprioceptive sense, our body awareness. Then we have our vestibular sense, which is our sense of movement. Specifically, we, we call it head movement because it comes from our inner ear. So we have fluid and crystals in our ear and little hairs. And when we move our head, so if I tilt my head to the side, the fluid moves to the side, which moves the hair and the crystals to the side. And I know I moved my head. And then we have our sense of what we call interoception, interoceptive sense. That is our body signals. It's how we know when we're hungry, when we're full, when we need to use the bathroom, when we're about to throw up, and our emotions. So those are our other three senses nobody talks about. All eight of these senses are absolutely necessary for you to eat at the table. We use all eight of them and all eight of them work together for us to eat at the table. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. Hey, are you a parent of a teenager? Are you feeling overwhelmed about how to be what they need while also holding limits and boundaries that keep them safe? Are you tired of conversations that negate how messy this season of parenting is? Well, I've got you. My name is Casey O'Rourke. I am a positive discipline trainer, parent coach, and the host of the Joyful Courage podcast. Every week I come to you with an interview, digging into tough topics with experts I trust and solo shows that go deep into the personal growth and mindset needed to raise teens in a way that grows them into confident, capable 
young people. I am not afraid of getting real about the intersection of conscious parenting and the teen years, while also bringing in vulnerability, humor, and lightness. I'm walking the path with you and honored to serve. Listen to Joyful Courage on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. Hmm. Well, that's fascinating. You blew my (laughs) mind. It is mind-blowing when you actually think nobody talks about it. (laughs) Right. Is it just not easy to talk about? Interesting. Why don't we talk about that more often? You know, I just don't think a lot of people even know. If you do, if you find OTs out there, a lot of the OTs are talking about it, but kind of, I think it's, you don't know what you don't know. So you don't even know to ask about that. But then all of a sudden you find out about these three senses and you're like, oh my gosh, I noticed that in myself, but I also noticed that in a child. I see this. I feel this. And even, you know, I've talked to my husband about them and he's like, oh, I have a hard time with that sense. And it's when we think about it and yeah, because, you know, um, motion sickness, that comes from our vestibular sense. Nobody knows that. Why we love weighted blankets, why we love deep hugs, why we love any of those compression things. That's our proprioceptive sense. So it's out there. But we just don't really share the reason why all the time. Huh. Interesting. How do you kind of figure that out? I mean, do you would would you kind of know that that's a thing? Like, would you know that your child had motion sickness if they did? So a lot of parents would know the motion sickness part. But I would say the sensory processing part when they come to us and they're like, you know, hey, I'm having a hard time with this. Some parents do have already known that their child has sensory issues. Maybe they've followed things, they've learned about it. But other people come and they have no idea. We're like, oh, wait, this sounds like it could be a sensory thing. And how we kind of determine that. So I do want to preface this for everybody out there and say, occupational therapists, we do not diagnose. So a lot of people think you're going to go to your OT and they're going to diagnose you with a sensory processing disorder. And that is not the case. Um, that has to come from a pediatrician, developmental pediatrician, a neurologist. But we work in tandem. So they're going to send you to us and we're going to look for trends. So we're going to look for, do you have difficulty getting your hands dirty? Do you have difficulty touching different textures? And we're going to ask questions about each specific sense because you can have difficulty in one sense. You can have difficulty in multiple senses. They can affect each other. And so we look for trends in each of these to determine, you know, is there something going on in the sensory system? And if so, in which sense and how does this affect their life? So we all have sensory quirks. Every single one of us has some kind of sensory quirk. So, you know, for example, I don't love saran wrap. I, when I feel saran wrap, I get goosebumps, but it doesn't hold me back from being able to do the things I need to do. We classify it more as a difficulty, as a sensory difficulty, when it holds you back from doing things in life. So for a child who can't eat, it is holding them back from being able to eat. Interesting. That's okay. Saran Europe's not great. So we'll just get that out of your life. <laughs> not great for you. Not that great. <laughs> We're going to, you know, we'll get other things. Much better for the environment. Um, okay. I want to talk to you a little bit about decluttering and kind of the kitchen. I Because as you're talking about this, kind of, I know that when I see a lot of stuff around me, it, it makes it harder for me to process things as well. So outer chaos kind of creates inner chaos or vice versa. They kind of work in tandem. Uh, you were saying with your other, with senses as well. So do you find that that can be something that can help families as well? If they start to kind of declutter and clean up their space, it can make it a little bit easier to have, or just kind of takes a layer off? I don't know. I'm just curious. A hundred percent. So even when we talk about our visual sense, visually, it can be overstimulating when you have so much stuff. You don't know where to look. You don't know where to focus. And for a child who really struggles with too much. So I like to say we have our kids who are too much. This thing is too much. It feels too much. It looks too much. Hmm. If there is so much going on already, their sensory system is already at full capacity. So if we can minimize that visual information around the house, if we can minimize the sounds around the house, everything going on for some kids, and I, I say some, not all, because other kids need more sound and need more things to wake them up. But most of the time we're dealing with our too much kids. And 
yeah, I mean, that that clutter, the table having a lot on it, around you having a lot on it, you know, the when you're cluttered, your routines are kind of cluttered too a lot mm. of the times too. Yeah. So simplifying that, getting into those routines, having a cleaner space for mealtime absolutely can help kids at the table. Right. Makes it easier to get out the food that you want, be able to prep, have the space to prep um, and yeah, have other people in the kitchen with you. Cause I found that too. Like when uh, there's a lot of things in the kitchen, you're more likely to, sh- to shoo people out. <laughs> And when you can have more people in there helping you, participating, um, you know, your kids are going to make a mess in the kitchen. It just is what it is. And so yes. I had to kind of have that moment of with myself of just like, great, we can clean it up. And this way she's participating um, and kind of then once they participate, they feel ownership. And I found that too. And she wanted to try more or, you know, was just more willing to be a part when she was able to participate. Absolutely. So, yeah. Do you have ways that we can cut down on any of that mess? Because while I am getting better at her making a mess in the kitchen, (laughs) I don't really enjoy having to clean up. So we could still have them participate, but it not be that crazy mess. Because I do think that holds a lot of parents back of thinking like, my kitchen is going to have food all over it and the floor is going to be sticky and there's going to be sugar. Oh my gosh, sugar or salt on the floor is the worst. (laughs) Um, or flour everywhere. Um, you know, do you have simple ways that we can add sensory processing into our routines without making a huge mess? I do. And okay. I think, um, so as OTs, I love messy play. So we are some of the worst people to talk to about this because in our family, messy play is a absolute must, but there's also being realistic. So okay. there is, yes, as an OT, when I play with somebody myself, we are going to get all kinds of messy. But as a parent, when you are trying to get through your day, do your things, get in bed, do the homework, I get it. We don't want it to be so, so messy that you're taking the next couple hours cleaning up here. So I do have some great ones. Number one is messy play does not have to be at the table. It can be outside. So if you are going to do messy play and you're going to get real messy, I like taking it outside so that you can just hose it down, be done, Stick your kid right in the bathtub. So I will, a lot of the times, make sure this is before bath time because you can just stick your kid right in the bath and it's not going to be quite so messy. We know kids don't love to wipe their face. So just stick them in the bath after. (laughs) Um, Number two is that messy play doesn't have to be quite so messy. Sensory play doesn't have to be quite so messy. So even if you have cucumbers and you're working at cucumbers at the table, having your child stack them on their plate that is sensory play. We don't always have to think of it as them covered head to toe, but what is a fun little way they can interact with their food is a different way to think about it. So can you make a tower? Can you drag your cucumber across the table? Can you make it your nose? That sensory play takes two seconds. It's so simple and it's not messy at all. Again, this is where I put that boundary. We keep food on the table because it quickly goes from one to the other. So That's like my favorite thing to do is how can I do this very, very simple thing that is going to make them absolutely so excited about this food, but it's not that messy. Mm. Another one is having them wash the fruits and vegetables in the sink for you. So as opposed to making a mess, they are are cleaning it for you. (laughs) That's another favorite. And if all else fails, my sister absolutely swears by that wet, dry vacuum where it is. It is the combination. You don't have to like vacuum and then swiffer. You just go over and pick it up because there are times it's going to get messy. (laughs) Got it. All right. Good to know. Awesome. I love that idea of, yeah, how can you flip it on its head? Cleaning can be sensory, right? So you're doing that part. I love that. Um, And my daughter loved playing in a sink full of water. She would play for hours in a sink full of water. I wish Mm -hmm. I would have thought, hey, dump the whole carton of vegetables in there and let her clean the veggies while she's playing in the water that's missed out on that one she could still do it so simple just not the same when she's nine she's not as into the whole sink full of water but maybe she's still even something yeah even something like having them snap the ends off the asparagus you know they're helping in a meal prep step it's sensory prep at the same time yeah love it love 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 well 
Sam, this has been wonderful. And I know people are going to want to know more about you. And you had, uh, mentioned your membership and uh, your course and things like that. So tell people where they can find you if they do want to reach out and get more information. Yeah. So I do have a podcast that I just launched. It's called the Food Explorers Podcast. It's on sense. It's on sensory. It's on Apple and Spotify. <laughs> we do talk about sensory. <laughs> And then I do have a freebie for any parent who's struggling with their child's sensory system. So it is a handout that has different strategies for how to help your child either wake their body up or calm their body down, depending on what they need. So that's going to be at drsamgoldman.com. So not the at, but drsamgoldman.com slash self-regulation strategies. Or I have a very active Instagram. So come find me at drsamgoldman on Instagram. Great. Well, we will make sure to link to both of those in the show notes. So if people are out and about and they can't get to those right away, we'll make sure they're linked so that they don't have to write them down. Um, and then one of my favorite ways to end every show is with three rapid fire questions. And the first one is, what does minimalism mean to you? Yeah, well, I will be honest. I Minimalism is new to me. I have had a organizing hobby for years. The container store is my favorite place. But the minimalism part is new. That is something I'm working on right now. So I think what it means to me right now is having a couple things that I really love that make my life easier and that I can use in different ways. Yeah. So I'm I working on that capsule wardrobe. <laughs> Welcome to the journey. It's fun and it's constantly changing for me too. So um, I agree with you. I think I love how you said right now because it is a new endeavor for you. And as you dive deeper and get more confident, it's going to change a little bit as you go. So that's awesome. Well, welcome to your minimalism journey. I'm <laughs> Thank you. happy to have you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then what is one of your favorite pieces of advice that you would like to share that maybe you didn't get to yet today? That I think feeding, and I really want parents to know that eating and feeding is a relationship. So I like to focus first on your relationship with your child at the table. If it's not fun for you, it's not fun for them. We're not going to make progress there. So the first thing I tell parents focus on is instead of focusing so much on the bites they're taking, focus on having an enjoyable meal with them. Focus on talking to them about their day, enjoying it, because that's going to bring them to the table because they want to spend time with you. Hmm. I love that. That is great. Oh, yeah. And just take it, make it a time that you all want to be there. Oh, love that. Okay. And then what is making you happy right now or in this season of your life? So in this season of my life, I'm really focusing on the small things that make me happy. So part of that minimalism journey, I don't need all the things all the time. I don't need all the big trips all the time. Yes, that stuff is wonderful, but I want to focus on the small things. So like my morning cup of coffee my snuggles with my dogs, a good book. Today, it is that Florida is a little bit colder. Those are the small things that are bringing me joy right now. Mm, love that. Yes, today we have no rain in San Diego. That is bringing me joy today. Oh, <laughs> starting to get a clear sky. So that will be nice for a little while. Well, Sam, thank you so much. This was a delight. You are a pleasure to speak to. And I just appreciate that you're helping parents um, in an area that can be very stressful, right? I mean, it falls on us to nurture and raise our children. And so if we struggle in that, I know it is super stressful. So thank you so much for uh, what you do and, and helping all the parents out there. Thanks for having me. So what'd you think? I was right. She was a delight to talk to. And I really could have spoken with her for much, much longer. I really hope you were able to come away from this show with some tactical um, ideas of ways you can help your child and just different ways to look at food. I think there was some really interesting things we talked about with the different senses that we don't really normally discuss and those different steps, right? 32 steps, but broken down into those six segments and how we can then look at where we might have thought step one is actually much, much further down the road. And so how can we break these down and make even tinier steps so that we can make progress with our children if we're struggling in this food sensory and trying new things? And then even thinking about that for ourselves as well, how can we look at different foods and bring more variety into our own diets, maybe using some of these steps and tactics that we would use for our children, but using them on ourselves? 
But I do want to know what was the biggest thing that stuck out to you? You know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the episode. If you had any favorite parts, if you had any big takeaways, I mean, please, please, please come over to the wannabe minimalist group and share them or you can DM me on Instagram or you can email them to me. All of those links are in the show notes, um, but you can just search for me. I want to be clutter-free on all of those places, and it's the Want to Be Minimalist group on Facebook, and we'll have a discussion going over there. And of course, I would be remiss if I didn't thank Dr. Sam one more time for joining us on the show today and sharing so much knowledge um, and just really diving into this topic with us. I really enjoyed chatting with her. Remember, she does have some awesome resources available to you. So head on over to wannabeclutterfree.com slash 145. Again, that's wannabeclutterfree.com forward slash the number 145 to find out more about Dr. Sam and get your hands on those resources. And as always, thank you again for joining me. If you made it this far, just a reminder that I would be thrilled if you left a review on Apple Podcast. It only takes a minute and it really does help me out. Um, And it's just one of the ways you can show support for this show. And with that, I hope you have an absolutely fabulous day and I will see you back here next week for a solo show. We're gonna be diving into some mindset stuff. One of the questions I got um, in the group was, learning how to let go of finding the perfect receiver of items, like having the perfect place for the, our, our discarded things to go. And so I want to talk to talk about our mindset around that, about how we can look at our different things and maybe let go of trying to be so perfect. All right, that's going to be next week. I know you're going to love it. So please make sure you check it out. I'm Deanna Yates, and you've been listening to Wannabe Minimalist. Cheers. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy The Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of The Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy.